We read the same words from Mark 5, 1 through 20 in our English Bibles. Mark 5, 1 through 20. You'll see some parallels between Mark 5, 1 through 20 and also with Jesus calming the storm on the sea. You know, the fear, the, the calmness, the storm, except there it's not outside, here it's on the inside of a person. Mark 5, 1 through 20, we hear God's word. Then they came to the other side of the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gadarenes. When he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling place among the tombs. You know what tombs are, right, boys and girls? They're graves. That's where he lived. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. Always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. He cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? He answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine, or you could say pigs, was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, that's a lot of demons, 2,000 demons that were inside this man. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and they told in the city and the country, they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothing, or sorry, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might not that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. What a great ending to such a sad, sad story. This is the kind of man everybody would run away from. 
and hide in their houses. Nobody would be able to control him. But Jesus, he had his eyes, he had his focus on this man on the other side of the lake. What we see here, you know, we don't only see Christ's authority over demons, over evil, over sin. But what else do we see? We see his most tender compassion for a man who is in such a great need. A madman, we would say today. Such a man would be called a madman. And what a beautiful combination. The authority of Christ, and at the same time, a most tender compassion. He's able, but he's also willing. And he's willing to reach out to a man that everyone was so scared of. As we hear of Jesus' compassion today, our purpose also is that you may know that whatever your sin and misery, whatever the reason for your sin and misery, Christ is the answer. He's the answer. He's the remedy for it all. You know, Jesus reaches out to this man. He's far worse than what anyone we would ever know. I mean, if Jesus reaches out to him, he can reach out to any man, any woman, any child. Because Christ, this is where the depth of his compassion comes. Christ is going to take the punishment for this man's sins upon himself and he's going to cast Satan into the lake of fire. That's what he says in Revelation at the end of history. But already now we see a prophecy of that. And so what we see here is that here Jesus heals a man. A man with many, many demons. I'm going to see three things. If you look at verses 1 through 5, we see how Satan and sin damages a man. Or woman. But here in this case, a man. Sin and Satan damages the image of God in a man. Then we're going to see in verses 6 through 17, it's only Jesus that can make a person whole again in God's image. And finally, we're going to see in verses 18 through 20, how his friends marvel at the word of Jesus. Look at verse 1. Our first point. Satan's and sin damages him. We read that Jesus and disciples, you know, they just come through a stormy sea. He calmed the waves and reached the other side. And where do they land? They land now on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And that place is called the country of the Gadarenes. This area was, you could say, where the Gentiles lived. Who were the Gentiles? They were not Jews. They were those who did not know God. They worshipped other gods, other idols. And here in verse 2 we read that when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs 
a man with an unclean spirit. Now, if you read Luke's version, we read there that this man had had the demons for a long time. This was a continuing problem for many, many, perhaps many, many, many years in this man's life. And you read verses 3 through 5, a description of this man. It's so graphic. It's so dark. It's so ugly. It's so stomach-churning. Where was his home? Among the dead. Among the tombs. This means he lived where dead people were buried. The tombs probably were the, the holes that were cut on the side of the mountains and the bodies placed in. That's where he was always roaming around day and night in isolation. He was all, he was all alone, isolated, and it's just the image. The image of death all around him, all the time. This was where he was kept. This is where he was, you could say, restrained in the land of death. Why? Why was he put there? Nobody knew what to do with this guy. All treatments had failed. No one could help him anymore. You know what they would do? Finally, I thought, there's only one thing we can do. We need to put chains on this, chains on this guy. And they would put chains on him. And they would put fetters or chains on his feet just to keep him down. But not even that helped. He would just pull those chains right apart. And he would just break those shackles on his feet into pieces and start running around like a madman again. Can you imagine having a man like that in your neighborhood? That no one could take down? If you were to go to jail, he just breaks out of jail? This was the kind of guy he was. No one could tame him. Verse 4, no one could tame him. So that's why they put him out there. They put him outside of society and says, here, you go, you have your way there by yourself, away from society. A wild man, a madman, a man not in his right mind. If you read Matthew's version, we read that He, and there was one other one there, according to Matthew. He was so fierce that no one, no one could pass that way. (laughs) No one dared to get close. Probably not even on the roads in that area. And we also learn from Luke that he wore no clothes. So he was completely naked, just running around, screaming and yelling. And day and night he's doing this. When did he sleep? We don't know. He was just... Off his rocker, you would say. Always taking little stones and just cutting himself. And just blood everywhere. Deep cuts. Destroying himself. You read this and, and you, you image that. And you almost begin to weep. This description is so opposite of the way God made man in the beginning. Read Genesis 1. It's so opposite of that. 
when God created man, he created man male and female. Genesis 1.26. In his own image. What's that mean? In his likeness. It was beautiful. He reflected something of the, the character of God. His holiness. His righteousness. His knowledge. And man was to image God. Man was to reflect God by having dominion. By having rulership. By reigning over the creation. This man was not reigning over anything. Satan had dominion over him. It's so opposite of the way God created man. The fall of man into sin, brothers and sisters, has greatly marred your and my image. The image of God in us. And the difference between us by nature and this man is a difference of degree. Understand that. You see the, the depravity, the sin, the evil of our sin. But here you see it in the most extreme way. You see it in a man whose image is so marred, so effaced, so damaged, so disfigured, the demons in him, what were they trying to do? What demons always try to do, what the devil always tries to do, is to destroy, is to hurt, is to bring ruin, not only in the creation, but also men and women. And you see that here. This man was hardly acting like a human being anymore. He was acting more like an animal and then you see him trying to destroy himself. You, you see the dominion of Satan over him. And sin. Sin reigning over him. Trying to kill himself with stones. But you know what? A person, a man or woman, does not need only to be demon-possessed in order for us to see the damaging effects of sin on the image of God in man. Sin. Sin itself damages our image. Envy, jealousy, hatred. We read those earlier today. Sexual morality. These are ruinous effects on the image of God and man. That's what sin does. It mars, it disfigures it misshapes. It's ugly. It's ugly. It's horrible. It tries to deface. Mr. Sin tries to deface, tries to erase anything that is godlike. And yeah, you see it even in extreme forms in today's society. Think about the confusion over gender identity. God created man, male and female. And now, the thinking that there are many different kinds of genders, that's evidence. That's evidence of trying, of sin taking over and effacing and disfiguring any mark left of the image of God in man. Think of those 
who serve false gods. In order to serve false gods, they have to twist the true and living God, change it for a lie. And you think of the dominion of that twisted God they make in their own image that's over them. There's great fear. And then they're always trying to manipulate the gods' rituals and incantations, and it affects the mind. It is so painful. It hurts. It disfigures. It destroys. That's what sin does. Sin, Sin destroys the beauty of God's image in man. And when you see that, is what you see here. Although to a great, greater degree, sin destroys self, like this man was doing to himself. With the stones? You know, we don't have to only do it with stones. Sin itself does that. It just tears at and attacks and tries to break down the image of God in man. Sin, no matter what it is, brings seeks to bring man under its dominion, under its reign. And yeah, you, what's the result? Misery. Sadness. That's the truth. That's the truth. Where do we go? Where do we go with all this brokenness? The image of God, which has been so damaged by sin... We must go to Jesus. Jesus saw this man. As a matter of fact, what you see is Jesus is really the one that comes to him. How do we know that? Well, let's go to our second point. Jesus is the one who makes this man whole. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. He ran to Jesus. Why? True, it's true. He saw Jesus from afar. But why did he see Jesus from afar? Because ultimately, it was because the Lord Jesus himself had opened his eyes to see him. The Lord Jesus himself was drawing him. It's his sovereign grace that draws this man to himself. That's the only reason why anyone comes to Christ. It's because the Lord is the one at work drawing his people to him. That's why he came to Jesus, because Jesus came to him and drew him. And now comes the conflict. The demons? The demons must submit. They're reluctant about it, because Jesus is Lord. This man, controlled by an unclean spirit, what does he do? He reluctantly falls down before him, Before whom? Before the Lord Jesus in his majestic and glorious presence. Understand, when it says here he worshipped him, it's not worshipping like we're worshipping him today. It was a fearful respect. That's what it was. He knelt down before him, fearful, but at the same time showing respect because they knew who he was. The demon in this man knows that Jesus is God. And that's why he wants to drive Jesus far away from himself. Look at verse 7. He cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? Even the demons know that Jesus is God. 
Many people deny that today. What he's saying here is, Lord Jesus, you who are God and us, we have nothing in common. The unclean spirit in this man is shaking, trembling in the presence of a holy God. He's thinking, this demon is thinking of immediate torment. He knows that torment is the place where the devil and all the wicked will go to the lake of fire. And that's why he says, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. The Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. How were the earth and the heavens made? By the word of God's power. Who's the word? The word is the son of God. Who became incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the same word here which has sovereign authority over the unclean spirit. Look at verse 8. For Jesus said to him, Come out. Come out of this man, unclean spirit. You know, there's no magic here. It's not magic. There's no incantations. There's no ritualistic prayers or spells. It's simply the word of God. A simple word. The authority is in Christ. The authority is in his word. Because Christ is sovereign over judgment and salvation. You know, Jesus ministers compassionately to this severely twisted man in two ways. That's what you see in verses 9 through 17. In two ways he ministers to him. Which is also an encouragement to sinners today. The first way is what? He's the one who binds Satan. He's the one who has power over Satan. The second way is he brings wholeness, healing back to this man. But first of all, Jesus has power over Satan. A power that no one else had over him. What we see here is a prophecy of the binding of Satan that Revelation 20 speaks about. The time of their torment had not yet come into the lake of fire. And so the question is, where do the demons go? He cast them out. So where do the demons go? It's not yet time to put them into the lake of fire, into torment. And so what we see here is they go into the swine. There was a legion of them, which means that there was an army of demons. That's the the meaning of legion. That was its name. And by asking his name, Jesus wants to bring the whole destructive operation out into the open so that everyone can see that the works of Satan are ruinous. They're intended to destroy. So by the permission of Jesus, the demons enter into what? Into the pigs. What were the pigs? They were just there busy grazing on the side of the mountain. And the whole herd of squealing pigs, I mean, there there was a lot of noise. There was a lot of noise. They were rushing violently, head over heels. You can imagine their legs flipping over each other, probably doing almost like somersaults. 2,000 of them. They rush 
They rush violently. They fall over the cliff. And where do they go? Into the sea. 2,000 pigs. Can you imagine the livelihood? What happened to that farmer? Look what he lost in one day. 2,000 pigs. Wow. You know, we can raise a lot of questions here. One question is, why did Jesus allow the demons to go into the pigs? I mean, think about the great financial loss to the, to the farmer. 2,000 pigs destroyed. Why does Jesus allow it? Why does Jesus permit it? We can't say. The text does not say. But the text does bring out something. What's the focus here? The focus is on the one man. On this one man. And the question is, is this man's salvation, is it not more important than the loss of pigs? Compared to a redemption of a person, the salvation of a person, the loss of pigs is such a minor detail. Jesus doesn't say anything about it. It's minor compared to the salvation, one coming to know God through faith in Jesus Christ. What shines out here is Christ's compassion and love for a man so terribly broken. A man for whom he would die. A man for whom he would give his life on the cross and bear the punishment and suffer the torture in his place. So that's the first thing. Ministering to this man, we can be encouraged by the fact that he's the one who can break the power of Satan and break the power of sin. Only he can. He can break the power of addictions. He does. And the second thing is, he makes this man whole. In other words, he restores this man to reflect something of the image of God in man once again. He's no longer wild. <laughs> if you look at verses 14 through 17, I mean, those who fed the swine, they're running into the city. And they're telling everybody, look what happened. This is what happened. They're giving their reports, and they're spreading their reports. And the people who heard about it, they also come with them, and they're going, all coming to Jesus, and they want to see this man. And when they come to Jesus, what do they see? This man that everyone was always scared of. We saw a man, it says here, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. No longer running around. No longer yelling and screaming. No longer naked. But you see a picture of him like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Totally calm. Think of the calming of the storm. Totally calm. This is the power of Christ. What a happy picture. Christ makes man whole. And what you see here is God's amazing grace. Having broken the power of Satan. 
in this man's life. Christ makes a new man. Christ gives him a new identity. People of God, what do you see? What you see is Christ forgiving this man. You see Christ beautifying this man. You see the joy. You begin to see the blessing of what it means to be brought under Christ's lordship. So important. What it means to believe in Christ means to be brought under his lordship, under his dominion. That's where blessing thrives. That's where joy grows. Being brought into a right relationship with God through Christ. This was this man. Wow. What a contrast. What a contrast. You know, we live in better days today. Far richer now that Christ has died, has rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now has poured out his spirit on the church. This man wasn't living in those days. There were all prophecies pointing to that time. But the scriptures tell us that through his death and through his resurrection, that's how Christ broke the reign of Satan, the reign of death. He has cast him out of heaven. And now he is bound. Revelation 20 speaks of Satan being bound today. From the time of Christ ascending into heaven till about the time that he returns, Satan is bound. Now he still works, but he's on a chain. He can no longer deceive the nations. The gospel is free to do its work. And then the Bible tells us that when Christ returns, he will cast Satan and all the followers of Satan into the lake of fire. The exalted Christ today, by his spirit, breaks the power of sin. He really does. Breaks the power of addiction in the life, sorry, in all who believe on Christ. He brings the blessing of his reign by his spirit. He begins his renewing work in our hearts by his spirit. It doesn't mean we no longer fight against sin. Oh, we fight against sin till the day of our death. But the beautiful thing is Christ has, the Christ who won the victory, who conquered sin, death, and hell, also gives us his spirit so that we may conquer day by day by the grace of God. That's his promise to us. That's our assurance. We look to the cross, and there's our answer. This man was made whole. But it doesn't stop there. You begin to see him expressing the joy of his wholeness. I mean, there's only one response when you have something like this. This man is thankful. He wants to show his love to Jesus. He wants to show his love to others. And that brings us to our third point, verses 18 to 20. His friends... His friends marvel at the word of Jesus in his life. How do the people from the towns and the swine herders respond to Jesus? They saw him. They saw the miracle. They saw the change. Sitting, clothed, in his right mind. 
And immediately after, in verse 15, we hear that they were afraid. What were they afraid of? They are afraid, they are more afraid of the presence of Jesus who cast out the demon than they were afraid of him while he was still running around with the demon. Isn't that odd? More afraid of Jesus and the presence of Christ than they were of this man while he was running around with the demon. And their thinking is better to have evil than to have this one who removes the power of evil. Their fear of Christ does not bring them to faith in him. What do they do instead? Leave us. Leave this region. What does Jesus do? He enters the boat. And without, us, without speaking a word, he leaves. You know, it's like, it's no different in our day. It's like the public places in our city. Think of our public schools. Jesus left long ago. He's not allowed in our public school system. Think of our, the places of government, the halls of parliament. Jesus left long ago. He's not allowed. And you see the sad results, don't we? Violence, anger, shooting, sadness, depression, mental illness. And people try so hard. We can give kudos to them for trying so hard to restrain it. Like the people were doing with the earlier... At the, at the time earlier with the demoniac. People bring in psychologists. Bring in, people bring in psychiatrists to deal with people's isolation. To deal with people's violence. To deal with people's hurt and pain. But it's failing. Honestly. It doesn't work. People need Jesus. People need Jesus. People need his word. This is what's going to bring wholeness back into our society again. The word of God. Christ himself. They need his reign. He needs to reclaim dominion. And Christ is reclaiming dominion. We, you see the evidence here. Many places. He alone makes people whole through his word. But Jesus... He goes into his boat. And who wants to go with him? This man whom he had healed. He pleads with Jesus. I want to go with you. He's he's willing to be one of those disciples that are with him already. Disciple number 13. He wants to go with Jesus in the boat, cross the lake and join him. Learn, learn, Learn from him. Sit at his feet. Study the word. Grow in faith. And Jesus says no. No. Why not? Well, these people need a missionary. Jesus has been rejected. Jesus is leaving. The light of the gospel is leaving. But Jesus knew they needed the light of the gospel in this area. And who would be the light of this gospel? This man who had Jesus. 
They needed someone to share the good news of Christ. You see the patience and the long-suffering of Christ to a people who asked him to leave. Wow, verse 19, Jesus says, You go home to your friends. You tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Notice that, go and tell. In school we have show and tell. Right? We want to show our things and we want to tell. But you know, every believer is called to go and tell. It's not just for new believers to go and tell. All believers should be able to speak personally from their own heart about what Jesus has done for them in their lives. Question. What great things has the Lord done for you? Would you be able to tell someone? Would you be able to tell your neighbors and friends if they asked you? What has Jesus done for you? How would you personally speak of the Lord's compassion in your life to your friends and to your neighbors? If they asked you, what would you say? You know, by nature, believers are no different. I'm talking about by nature. We come out of the same kind of stock as this man did, the stock of Adam. We're no different by nature than this man who was damaged by sin, but by the grace of God, made whole in Christ. That's not just him, but the question is, what is your story? Do you have a story? Have you been changed by the grace of God? We read in verse 20, And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. Decapolis here means ten cities. So he's really sharing the word. Ten different cities. All that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. And the reason why he's doing this is because Jesus gave him a commission. And we're all not all called to do that. We're all called to serve God in our work. But even as we're serving him in our work, we should, we should always be willing and ready to, to share what Christ has done for us. But here this man was under a commission. A preacher, you could say. And yeah, this was the one that used to run naked on the mountains, among the dead. Now clothed in his right mind. Talking about Jesus, who is the Lord. In conclusion, if you look back at Mark 4.35... What did Jesus say to his disciples? Let's cross over to the other side. That was in the former chapter. Let's cross over to the other side. And we may be wondering, why did Jesus want to go to the other side? They had to go through a furious windstorm on the sea to reach the other side. And now it becomes clear. He crossed over to the other side for just one man. One man. Isn't this the compassion of Jesus? Isn't it his compassion so amazing? He had also come to die for this one. That's why he sought him out. That's why he came to look for him. And now God freely offers that same forgiveness in Christ. That same renewal by his spirit to each and every one of us. Amen.